Look, uh, lots of different people have lots of different opinions about Jesus. Um, you only have to do a quick little uh, Google uh, image search on Jesus to find quite an assortment of uh, people's views of Jesus. That's one of them. He's very pretty, that one. <laughs> and he's got some strange kind of part on his chin. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, like, what's, do you, does anyone know anyone who kind of fashions that kind of beard with a part? It's, I don't know. And then that one, he's getting his wink on. He's one of the homeboys. Uh, yeah, that's the classic, isn't it? It's like those sheep are so well behaved, he can just turn his back and dreamily stare off into the distance uh, with his lovely bathrobe on. Uh, this one, you could probably follow him because he might shoot her. <laughs> um, and uh, this guy here is... Uh, Black Jesus, uh, which is not a uh, racist term. Like if you do a Google search, there's lots of varieties that they call Black Jesus. So we've been doing Mark for a little while and I just thought today would be a good opportunity just to kind of pull up a little bit and just kind of say, okay, well, who is this character of Jesus and is he actually a real man? In one sense is what I'm asking. See, the Jesus that gets promoted a lot of the time is a pretty soft, effeminate kind of Jesus, kind of like that first one. And real men would just be going, nah, I don't think so. I'm going to follow that guy. Uh, if I have to part my beard like that, I'm not following him. <laughs> um, so some people got such thick beards, you just, you're not parting it. You know, it's kind of like the Red Sea. You know, you're not going to get that one done. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a real issue um, with, uh, with the way that people see Jesus um, and being soft and effeminate. So let's have a quick... Uh, recap of what Jesus has done in Mark. Classic thing with Jesus is he starts off, John the Baptist gets thrown in jail for what he's doing. What does Jesus do? He kicks up and he starts telling people to repent. He's kind of going, well, you might want to just take it a little bit softer and a little bit easier than that, but no, he's hooking straight into it. Uh, people need to repent. The next thing he does is he starts calling some tradies effectively to come and be on his team. Uh, tradies, um, probably, I would think, probably struggle with a lot of the way that the church portrays who Jesus is, I would think. I remember sitting at a uh, carols night, um, and it was a very good carols night, and I'm certainly not putting down the people who contributed, because I think it was good that they were contributing, but do you know, just about everyone who did something on stage on this carols night was either an older lady or kids. And, and it was very, and, and I'm not, please, I'm not, in any way wanting to be offensive to older ladies or kids but kind of the I was sitting behind a guy I knew as a tradesman I'm just going he's sitting there he doesn't go to church normally and he's probably struggling to see that their church is a place for anyone other than older ladies and kids um, but what does Jesus do he walks past guys basically with the tradies of the day calls them to be on his team and they drop their stuff and they follow him uh, then he meets up with an evil spirit he rebukes it uh, t- tells it to be silent he deals with lots and lots of demons sick people people were kind of getting on his case about what he needed to do uh, and what they wanted him to do and he just kind of ignored them and kept doing what he knew he had to do there were situations where he's flooded by people who were kind of gathering around him uh, kind of like the paparazzi he had people with youtube channels instagram and they're just running blogs and all this sort of stuff about him and they wanted to get photos of him obviously not for real but you get what i'm saying that was kind of the vibe there um, he, uh, he gets in Mark 2, he's there and there's a paralytic there and he knows what the religious people are thinking so he heals the paralytic and then he jams the religious people and he says, hey listen, I know what you were just thinking, this was it and you're wrong. Um, he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners and they actually like him, alright? He's not like this, I mean, can you, seriously, the first photo, could you see that guy hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? They'd just be going, man, we've got a seat for you. And it's out that door at about 100 metres down the road. You know, we're just not going to be doing that. Um, he, um, you remember in uh, Mark 4, he's, he's there in the, uh, in the synagogue, I think it was. There was a man that had the withered hand and he knows that the religious people are watching him and if he heals the man, they're going to go out and plot to kill him. And he heals him anyway. It's like, would you do that? It's like, if you knew people were going to go out and plot to kill you, if you did something, would you do it? Or would you just say, hey, listen, Jim, just uh, come out the side. 
I just need to talk to you about something. You know, sneak out the side door, you know, and just I'll just do a quick healing on the side and then we can go back in and they're not going to kill me. No, it's not. It's like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it in public and you guys are going to work out how to kill me and I'm okay with that. I'm just going to keep going with that. Um, and then um, his family um, came up and said, look, we think you're insane. He just keeps going anyway. Uh, evil spirits kind of told the truth when they were in his presence. Um, he went through a life-threatening storm in a boat, right? And isn't that like, isn't like the definition of toughness is being cool under pressure? Like that's, that's got to be top shelf. It's like these guys think they're going to die and I'm asleep. I'm just, I'm just so cool with this. I'm so down with it. It's fine. Do you get what I'm saying? Like he's just a really, really tough fella. And then he gets up and he just says three words, peace be still. And that's the end of the section for the storm. Uh, this is a guy that you can follow. This is a guy that the toughest of dudes could follow and still look like a pale, uh, kind of pale in insignificance next to him. Uh, what we come to today is the next thing that Jesus does after this. And the boat, it, the scriptures say, and we'll read it in a minute, the, the scriptures say the boat pulled up. I don't know, does, does a boat pull up? I don't know. It, it kind of stopped on the shore and he gets out. And there's an absolute psycho there, all right? An absolute psycho. And such a psycho that Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 says that he was so fierce that no one would even go near this guy. They wouldn't even travel near where this guy was living. And so here we are, we've got this guy that can't be restrained by anyone. And what's Jesus going to do? Well, he's just going to talk to him. You know, it's like the strongest of the strong people uh, couldn't tie him up. What's he going to do? Well, he's just going to, I think, make sure the boat ends up at the right place, just near where where this bloke lives, where no one else wants to go near him, and he's actually going to go and he's going to deal with him. He's pretty tough. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to read Mark 5, verse 1 to 20. On top of everything that I've mentioned, while you're getting Mark 5, 1 to 20 open there, on top of it, what you've got is Jesus has landed, from a Jew's point of view, he's landed in an unclean territory, Gentile territory. It's a place where there's tombs, so it's unclean because of the tombs. The dude he's going to talk to has got an unclean spirit. Uh, And on top of that, it was the region where they had a bunch of pig farmers. Now, in in the Jewish Mishnah, it actually says it's, you're not allowed to be a swine herder. You're not allowed to be a pig farmer because they're an unclean animal. Um, and here's Jesus. He's just rocking up there. That's, that's where he's going. That's, where, that's what he's going to do. So let's have a look at Mark 1, 1 to 20. They came to the other side of the sea. This is Jesus in the boat with the disciples to the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they met. That's one of Mark's favorite words. You've noticed that, haven't you? Immediately. All of a sudden it happened. They met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. I mean, just imagine this. A guy's got an unclean spirit and he's living in graves. That's where he is. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. What Mark's doing here is he's giving you some backstory. Mark is notorious, in a good way, for compressing gospel events. So his stuff tends to be a lot shorter than the other gospel writers. In the story about the storm and the story about the demoniac, he's longer than everyone else. So what he's actually done is he said, Jesus showed up, the man ran to him, but hang on, just hold on a sec, let me tell you about this man. So he stepped out and gave you a little bit of narration along the way and just said, you need to know this about this guy, and then he's going to click back into the uh, story. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, a legion in the Roman military had roughly about five and a half to 6,000 soldiers in it. All right? So we're not talking about a guy that's got a split personality. We're talking about a guy who's got a shattered personality, uh, really, is what's going on here. 
And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now that's a major deal. Now the area where uh, they think this um, section of Mark is actually talking about, there is a slope that goes down and kind of ends up in the ocean. Uh, that would have been a fascinating thing. I mean, that's a lot of pigs, right? And pigs look funny when they run. You know, and imagine 200 pigs just all running in the same direction. Now, it's not funny if you're the pig herder. It's, <laughs> it's pretty tragic, really. Uh, that's a lot of bacon. Um, but uh, very interesting kind of outcome. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marvelled. Fascinating pairing of two stories. Do you see any kind of overlap between the stories of the disciples and Jesus in the boat and the demoniac? You've got this uncontrolled situation. One of them's the storm. With the demoniac, you've got this uncontrolled man, and you could say that the storm was inside of him, wasn't it? There was an uncontrolled storm that was happening inside of him. Jesus engages with the uncontrolled storm. And what happens at the end? The disciples are afraid and the people of the land are afraid. And they tell Jesus, we don't want you to hang around, we want you to go. Uh, really interesting parallels kind of going on there. I think what we see in Mark uh, 5 is uh, we can see that Satan is an enslaver, that Jesus is a liberator and that freed people liberate others. Let's have a look at the first one here. Satan is an enslaver. Look, you can clearly see the, uh, the impact and the influence of the, the demons on the, uh, the demoniac here. Uh, obviously, the guy's out of control. Uh, someone just said to me uh, after the last service, they said, the image that I have of the demoniac is kind of the Incredible Hulk. It's like he's just, no one can tie him down. He's just having this, the, the demons are having this huge influence on this man. They've tried to restrain him, subdue him. And what we've actually got here is something that I would call a very paranormal uh, version of spirituality or demonic uh, activity and uh, I think you can probably uh, split up demonic activity into paranormal and normal or covert and overt um, so when you talk about military stuff uh, one of the things I've heard often is the, the idea of covert ops and what that is is kind of the SAS and they're kind of getting down and they're getting into the standard kind of dress and attire of someone who lives in the area and they're going around and they're doing their covert ops without people actually knowing what's going on I think what you've got with the devil is you've got demonic stuff that's happening in a covert way, undercover, and stuff that's happening out loud. And what we've got here is stuff that's happening out loud. Okay? But I actually think today that what's happening out loud teaches us about what happens in the covert. Okay? I still think that we do have... There, there is still lots of out loud, overt, in public, uh, demonic stuff that goes on. But I think most of the demonic stuff that goes on is happening in a covert way. Okay, And this goes back a, uh, a number of weeks to where I talked about the fact, the fact that I think that the world, the flesh and the devil kind of all operate in tandem in everything. So I think there's a demonic influence in just about everything, every struggle or piece of suffering that you go through. Um, so what we've got here in this story is we've got um, a very overt expression of uh, demonic, the demonic realm. So when you look at paranormal things, you can see in the Bible that some people are are dumb because of uh, very overt expressions of uh, demonic involvement. Uh, there's epilepsy um, that's, uh, that's happening as a result of that. And it even kind of looks like, uh, I, I remember reading a week or two ago, that um, there's only six books, I think, out of 39 in the Old Testament that actually even mention the devil. So you've got not a lot said about it in the Old Testament. You've got a real explosion of it. Um, with, uh, with Jesus uh, and his ministry in the New Testament. And then in the back end of the New Testament, it kind of seems to subside a little bit 
Um, and, it, and, and the back end of the New Testament, there doesn't seem to be as much that's going on. And there's a whole bunch of teaching about how to actually handle spiritual warfare in the back end of the New Testament. You see, the devil is involved in, in overt things and they do happen, but there's lots of these covert things like him working to bring about deception, temptation. He inspires pride. He deceives people. All of that sort of stuff, it's kind of like he's got his cam gear on, he's got his ghillie suit on and he's got his, his, uh, his stuff on his face, you know, and feathers or branches or something on his head. And it's like, it's like I don't know, is he, is he involved? Is he, is, he, is he around? Is he doing something? Because a lot of times it just looks like normal life that happens. Well, there's a lot of normal life. But there's also a lot of meddling that's going on behind there as well. Um, and I think what happens with this... Uh, this man is, uh, is instructive for us in terms of the way that the, the devil actually uh, strategizes things. David Powlison makes this statement about spiritual warfare uh, or the demonic realm. He says, The overwhelming, overwhelming majority of evils, individual and collective, are not atrocities or paranormal oddities. They are everyday trespasses and sins. The common passions and fears, the unbelief, anger, lusts and lies of our foolishness. That's undercover covert. Is everyone with me on that? I don't know whether you remember, a couple of people in the other service remember this, but before Tony Abbott got elected, I think it was on the 7.30 report or something, someone asked him a question and he made some kind of response like this. It was kind of like, um, yeah, don't always believe what politicians say. You have to wait till there's something that's written that actually comes out before you actually believe them. Does anyone remember that? And he kind of came out and he said, look, politicians just make stuff up on the spot and it's not always true. That's really what he was saying. Now, I think it's, I think it's fascinating that he actually didn't get hammered on that statement as much as he probably should have in the lead up to the, uh, in lead up to the election. <laughs> because you know what he was saying is he was actually saying what everyone kind of knows anyway. Isn't that right? It's like, yeah, we already know that. And it's like he's just kind of putting it out, uh, putting it out there and making public something that was kind of covert. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on here is there's a strategy that the devil's using with this demoniac here that's actually overt and it actually tells you a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes. You see, the powers of darkness are canny, pervasive and they're intentional. Um, and, uh, and, and we can learn some stuff from how they do things. So going back to my original point, the devil is an enslaver. So I want you to look up there, look at that scripture. What's actually going on there? What effect is the devil actually having on this man? Does the man sound like a human to you? What does he sound like? Yeah, yeah. A wild animal, doesn't it? Like a beast. Like, if you think about what the, um, the penultimate human is, not in terms of physical stature, but just what, what in your mind is the thing that's most fully human? He doesn't qualify. He's, he is dominated by something else. Um, he can't be constrained. He's crying out in the middle of the night. I mean, you, you're not buying... I mean, real estate next to this guy's place is probably cheap. All right, you can get rent there for about five bucks a night for a mansion, you know? It's like, who wants to be there? It's like, who wants... I mean, firstly, it's next to the cemetery. The guy's hanging out in a place where they're burying people or they've buried people. He's crying out in the middle of the night. He's screaming out. People have tried to restrain him. You know, you've got 75 guard dogs if you're living next door to this guy. You know, razor wire and about a 15-foot-high fence underneath it. Uh, like, it's a, it's a significant kind of deal. Uh, the guy is a slave of the kingdom of darkness, isn't he? And there's a sense here when you look at this guy, like if I... And I'm going to take you right back to Genesis 1 in a minute. That human beings in, at the beginning were made in the image of. This guy's not, is he? Well, maybe in a sense he is, but you get what I'm saying? You look at that and you just kind of go, that is not the image of God. I mean, I'm still not 100% sure, we'll get to that in a minute, what the image of God is. What does that actually mean? But whatever it means, he's not it. Uh, that's pretty clear. Uh, you can imagine it. Um, I was just talking to Helen before and she said, she didn't do this story with the young kids in Project Kids because it's a bit scary, isn't it? I mean, if, can you imagine the toughest guys in the military couldn't restrain this guy? And what's Jesus doing? Oh, I'm just going to land the boat over there and we'll have a chat, you know? It's amazing. Here's the, um, 
Genesis 1 scripture about the image of God. I want you to just do a little bit of thinking here in a minute. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now that phrase, a really fascinating thing about image of God stuff in the Old Testament, it actually shows up five times in the Old Testament and at no point in time does the Bible ever define in the Old Testament, it never tells you exactly what that means. So you've got people kind of splitting all over the place theologically about what it means. So you've got some guys who think it means we look a little bit like God physically and then people start going through all these different characteristics of what being made in the image of God is. Um, and you know what? It doesn't really tell us. Some of you are going, oh, well, what's the point of coming to church then? All right, he's just telling us we don't know something. I didn't know it before I came. Uh, but it's just, we're, we're going to do a little bit of work on that. I think, I think you can get some stuff out of there that's useful but it's just an interesting thing to note so i'm just kind of helping you so when you sit and someone goes oh god made us in his image and that means this you can probably sit there and just go yeah probably i mean the best that i can come up with in the study that i've done is if there's something in god that we're a little bit like that might be it <laughs> like if you find overlap that might be it am i saying categorically it is not really um but it might be it let's keep going and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, if we do the old interpreting the Bible trick, in fact, interpreting any reading that you do, you've got to read something that's in context, right? Because context can actually help you sometimes. Now, if you had a punt, and you're not, you, you don't do that because you're Christians, you don't gamble. But <laughs> if, you, if you had a punt at what being made in the image of God actually means, and you looked at the very next thing after it says that you were made in God's image, what do you think might be one of the things you might suggest it means to be made in God's image? What's the next thing after it? Yeah, possibly. Dominion? Yeah? We're not, yeah. So, we're not, I'll take that point over there, all right? And that's part of the thing with the image of God is you're just kind of going, well, yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. In the direct context of this verse, see, the very next thing is about dominion, all right? Now, dominion is having authority it's the right to exercise power it's it's the power to rule it's having control of something now does the demoniac look like someone who has dominion no he actually looks like someone who's something else has dominion over him so can you see what's actually happening here if if being made in god's image means that you actually have dominion what has actually happened here what the devil's actually done is inverted that and made him under the dominion of something else. So here's what I think the devil's interested in um, coming out of Mark chapter 5. I think one of the things the devil is interested in is he's interested in our slavery. He's interested in something having dominion over us because if he gets something having dominion over us, he also gets at the image of God in us and he gets to def deface God. Does that make sense? I think, I mean... Does he do other stuff? Yeah, he does lots of other stuff. These are the two things I reckon I can see in Mark 5 that the devil's actually up to. So what's happening? The devil's coming in and the devil's a false lord. He's an evil imposter that wants to enslave this man. And I asked the question as I was preparing this, I thought, I wonder how this man got enslaved to the devil. Was it a paranormal thing that just kind of came out of the blue and these demons kind of got into him or was it something really normal maybe and I, I don't know we don't know the answer to that but was it a long normal process that ended in a paranormal place because we know that with uh with people that um their struggles uh, can be like that i know that from a counseling point of view that people can start with some very garden variety thing and it can get to something that can be really concentrated and really, really difficult. Um, we don't know. We don't know whether that's the case or not. You know what we do know is that this demoniac's not serving anyone but the devil or himself. And I'm not saying that in a way that's critical. It's just kind of what's happening, all right? He's not serving God. He's not serving anyone else around him. 
He's just being dominated by this thing. He's a slave to it and uh, it's got him trapped. So I want to ask you today, uh, I wonder how you're going with dominion, with how God has created you to be. I wonder how, if dominion is a critical part of you being fully human, how, how fully human are you? How free are you? How free are you really? And just because you asked, I thought I'd give you some pointers today. That might help you to work out whether you're actually free or whether you're a bit of a slave. Okay? Um, Because I think this is really important. Now, some of you might go, oh, hang on. When you become a Christian, doesn't Jesus deal with your sins and you're free? Well, yeah, but kind of the best way to understand becoming a Christian and living in this age is now and not yet. I am now perfect in God's eyes, but I'm not yet perfect in reality. Okay? In terms of living it out. I am now in the place where God's kingdom has come, but God's kingdom is still being expressed in terms of its rule in my life and in people around me. Am I free? Have I been given a new heart? Do I have a new nature to pursue God? Yes, I have. Okay? Do I still have indwelling sin that wants to take over stuff and wants to get me into bondage and slavery? Absolutely. Okay? It's just kind of how it rolls. If you're human and you're still breathing, that's kind of how it rolls. So... What we're going to do is I'll give you some pointers to identify slavery in yourself or in other people. Now, on that note, it's way, way, way easier to identify it in other people. (laughs) Has anyone ever said it to someone else? You just go, man, you're a slave to that thing. Yeah? Has anyone ever said it to you and you're just going, no? (laughs) No, I'm not. And you just go, "Uh, maybe, yeah. Here we go. Here's some pointers. If you've got some slavery in your life, there's probably some signs that you're being driven by something. You ever notice people like this? It's like they're just driven kind of people. It's just kind of, they're just kind of on their way somewhere all the time. And they don't just kind of stop and just relax. It's just kind of like there's something that's in the driver's seat at the steering wheel in their life. There's a sense that there's something that's ruling them. And I think we can get to this personally if we stop long enough to think about it. There's probably some good arguments for why you ought to be doing some journaling uh, because there's a way that journaling actually brings out the things that bother you and it gets them on a bit of paper. I'm not a writer. I don't like writing stuff uh, normally. uh, But there's something that actually expressing your thoughts in writing actually gets some stuff out. I'm sure that you can see times in your own life where you actually get ruled by something. Something else gets in charge of you, like a smartphone. Okay? Um, I mean, none. Obviously, present company excluded. You guys wouldn't have any issues with it. But there are people who have issues with smartphones. All right? And it's kind of like they started with a smartphone and they had dominion over it, but now the smartphone's got dominion over them. You know, and now they're kind of serving it. And there's a sense in which they're actually being ruled by it. What about this one? You can identify slavery when people move away from things that actually bring life. Have you ever noticed people like that? You just kind of, you know, maybe you're friends with someone or you know someone, and you're just kind of, what on earth do you keep doing that for? And they're just going, no, really, poison, it's, it tastes really good. You just put a quick shot of lime in there, and it's just, man, it's just sensational. You're just going, you're killing yourself, man, by actually just getting into that stuff, you know? And they're just kind of going, no, this is really good stuff. You've got to get some of this. You get what I'm saying? It's like you just pursue things that just don't make any sense in terms of bringing your life. And you can kind of see that with the demoniac here. This one here, people who are enslaved to things kind of miss people. Now, not in a loving kind of missing people, but they just kind of miss people. It's almost like, um, you know, the mo- sometimes movies that you watch where someone's died and they look real and the other person goes to hug them or whatever and they just kind of go straight through them or they walk through them because they're just kind of a vision rather than actually a reality. And somehow in there, I reckon, when, when you become a slave to something, other people just become this thing that you just, almost like you walk through like they're ghosts almost in your life. Does that, I don't mean to confuse you or anything, but does that resonate with anyone? Do you understand what I'm talking about? It's just, that's just kind of, kind of how that rolls. Um, this is a classic one. You assume that you see things clearly. 
the clearest statement you could ever make about yourself is that you don't make clear statements about yourself. Like you don't, you, I don't know. The best thing you could say is someone goes, oh, what sort of idea do you have? You just go, oh, I have no idea about me. No idea at all. Um, and people who are enslaved are very clear about themselves and they're very clear about their uh, direction that they're going and you kind of go up to them and you say, yeah, are you sure that you've seen things properly? Yeah, no, it's all good. I got it. I got this one. You just go, see, I was with you until you said you got this one and now I realise you don't have this one. Um, people get in the way and interrupt your life by saying that there may be a problem with what you're doing. You notice that? When, <laughs> when you're a... When you're a slave to something, people come in and they say, oh, what are you doing that for? Are you just, and your kind of instinctive under, underneath response is, look, if you can just get out of my way and just let me keep doing what I was doing, please, you're just really irritating right now. And it's just the sign that you're actually enslaved to something. Here we go. Here's the next one. Accountability doesn't work. So this is kind of the person who... Um, some of you may have had this. People go, look, if I just hold this person accountable, they'll be right. You know? And it's like you set up all these structures for accountability. I think a biblical understanding of accountability is like the person who wants to be held accountable does all the work and seeks out accountability rather than someone else trying to put it on them. It actually doesn't work when you try and put it on someone, especially if they haven't dealt with what the issue is in their own life. Um, but some of you probably have tried to help some people where you just go... It doesn't matter how much accountability, how many accountability structures we put in, you're just going to smash through them because you actually want to be doing this thing. And it's kind of like they, they do want to do it, but they don't want to do it at the same time. People who are slaves tend to get isolated from other people. They kind of get obsessed with the thing that they're getting involved with and they get isolated from others. This is a classic one for people who are enslaved. They cry out from the pain of their slavery, but they actually don't want to change anything. Has anyone ever dealt with anyone like that? It's like, this is terrible. I just want this to go away. But when it actually comes down to it and you ask them what they're prepared to do about it, they're not really prepared to do that much. And there's a lot of people who can actually be like that. This is why one of the things I say is that whenever you're wanting to help someone who's struggling, the thing that they say is the problem is almost never the real problem. Okay? The first thing that people tell you is the thing that hurts, not the thing that's actually the thing that's causing the hurt. You get what I'm saying? So, and your instinctive thing is when someone talks about something that hurts, you want to relieve the hurt. But if you actually want to help them, um, you've got to find a way to listen to the hurt and then get to the thing that really needs to be changed. One of the things said about biblical counselling is that it's got a PR problem because almost no one wants the kind of change that the Bible's wanting to bring about in your life. Okay? And that's a little bit of what's going on here. This is another classic one. You start out feeling like uh, you're in control of the thing, um, but then you feel like the thing has control of you. It kind of switches around. It's like you might have something, you're just kind of going, I'm in control of it, but before long, it's got you. And uh, you feel a bit out of control. So... If any of those apply to you or you can see any areas of slavery in your life, you know what you should do? You should come and do recalibrate. Okay? Recalibrate's a group process. Uh, the subtitle of that book is uh, Freed by Jesus from the Idols We Worship and the Wounds We Carry. And yeah, Mike Wilkerson. So uh, that's, we're having an information night uh, next Sunday night. Okay? But it's a really good thing because you know what? No one here is completely free. You know what the day is that you're going to be completely free? When you're dead, yeah. That's, it's like come to church and be encouraged. <laughs> but it is. It'll be completed one day and that will be great. Uh, in the meantime, Jesus wants to get into your life and uh, change as much stuff and free you um, to a huge degree. Number two, Jesus is a liberator. This is amazing. What actually happens here is Jesus shows up and you know what happens straight off the cuff? This guy that no one could restrain, this guy who probably fell on a whole bunch of other people in, the, in terms of beating them up, maybe hundreds, no one could restrain him. All of a sudden he comes and boom, he's on his knees. 
He falls at Jesus' feet instead of falling upon him. Amazing. You know, as I said, a a Roman legion had about 6,000 soldiers in it. Did he have that many demons? Maybe. That's a hell of a lot of demons. No pun intended. Um, That is a lot of demons inside the guy. And do you know what happens here is the classic storyline of every good story, isn't it? It's kind of like there's an, there's an evil imposter who's taken over and he's got control. And the real true king is going to come along one day and when he shows up, everything's going to go to the way that it was always meant to be. Everything's going to settle down. Everything's going to be calm. Everything's going to be peaceful. Kung Fu Panda. It was on last night. Isn't that the story of Kung Fu Panda? Like the real dragon warrior is going to come and he's going to deal with Tylon. All right? Lord of the Rings. That's the Lord of the Rings. Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings. It's a lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And if you're old enough, it's a matrix, isn't it? Anyone seen the matrix? Yeah? It's like the one is going to come and displace the bad guy and end the war and bring about peace. That's what's actually going to happen. This is the story of so many stories. And there's a sense in which it's not even that Jesus' words are the thing that's correcting what's going on with this demoniac. You know what's actually correcting things? Him. Him. Like his presence, his actual personhood. He just needs to come and be in front of this guy and it sorts things. And peace and shalom starts to take place in this man's life because of the presence of Jesus. When I was a young kid, I remember in Ballina, I was in, uh, in my bedroom one night and just freaking out. Um, and the thing I was freaking out about was I just had this vivid imagination of all these demons kicking around outside the house and then wanting to get me. And uh, I can't remember who it was. It was mum or dad. They came into my room and I told them that I was freaked out about it. And you know what, you know what they said to me? They said, you just need to stick with Jesus and you'll be okay because they can't get you. And they might be able to bump you and punch you in the arm, maybe, you know, slap on the back of their head every now and then because, you know, we can, get, we can have a little bit of trouble from, uh, from the devil. But, you know, what mum and dad said is good. And you can see that kind of happening with the demoniac here. What is it? Well, you just got to bring Jesus. It's like if there's a big, ugly, evil, mean guy, you just need a bigger, stronger, good guy. Don't you? Isn't that what you need? And then you just got to hang out with him. So it's kind of like spiritual warfare in a sense. In this sense, it's not that complicated. Get with the strong guy and just get him to sick him. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? That's kind of what it is. That's, you know, there you go. Sondergeld spiritual warfare in 30 seconds. So here's, here's my, when I, was, when I was preparing this, I just thought what actually happens is the true ruler displaces the wicked imposter and brings peace. That's what it is. When Jesus shows up, the misalignment of authority in this man's life gets sorted out. It gets sorted out. And the amazing thing is, they know archaeologically that there are lots of different ways that people talked about um, dealing with evil spirits outside of uh, Christendom and, and Judaism. Uh, so there'd be things like, long and convoluted formulas, spells, conjurations, catchwords. They'd have their little strategies for doing it. What does Jesus? He just comes up and says, come out. It's, it's like, really? Is that all you... That's it. That's it. Because he carries authority and his authority actually does something. So when you're in a place where the devil's giving you a hard time, and that happens sometimes to Christians, right? You just got to get Jesus in there and keep him in there. When it's really difficult, it's like, Jesus, I just need to be in here with you. I need to be in the middle of this thing with you. Because if you can just be with him, it's going to be okay. James chapter 4 verse 7 kind of speaks to this. See, this is how James says to do spiritual warfare with the devil. What's the first thing? Submit yourselves therefore to God. You know what that is? Correct alignment of authority. That's what it is. This is kind of like if you want to get dominion back, if you want to get dominion back over your smartphone, what you've got to do is get authority in place the way it ought to be in place. Does that make sense? 
So you've got to kind of say, and it sounds weird, but if you've got an iPhone 6, it's like, do iPhones sometimes take over you? Now, I would say, absolutely they do. All right? Now, it sounds really dumb, but I'll just tell you, like, I, there are absolutely times where I am a... My iPhone has dominion over me. Okay? And do you know what? When my iPhone has dominion over me, I'm less human than what Jesus made me to be. Is everyone cool with that? And it's also... To be honest, a pretty big off- offence to God. It's like, God's going, Apple? <laughs> Who are they? <laughs> haven't heard of them. You know, it's like, he's the ruler of the universe. You know, and what am I doing? I've got an iPhone 5S. It's not even a 6, you know. And it gets, and some of you are going, I've got a 6 and it's a good, it's a good ruler. Uh, do you get what I'm saying? You've got to get the still Android. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's right. It's, per, it's smartphone purgatory. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so you get that? You get the authority right and the dominion actually comes back. Um, so James says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll run away like a scalded cat. That's, that's in the Greek. Do you see that? Like a pathetic little school kid. Like a bully who's got nothing. It just gets called out. Um, that's kind of how it happens, you know. And it's not like, you know, I'm not going to stand up here and say, you've got to have some specific incantation to deal with the devil. No, you've got to get with Jesus. You've got to hang with Jesus and he does all the heavy lifting. All right? Now, is there, are there things that you need to pray? Yeah, absolutely. You need to do all that sort of stuff. I'm not saying that you don't pray, that you don't ask Jesus to help, you don't ask Jesus to beat up on the devil. Uh, it's one of the things my boys and I are looking forward to on Judgment Day is watching a the ultimate kind of cage fight where the God just beats up on the devil and kind of deals with him. That's going to be fun. Uh, some of you ladies kind of go, oh, I don't like fighting. Well, you might on that day, all right? You just go, this is a good fight. And I look forward to Jesus pummeling him and then putting him in jail for uh, forever. So here's a quick question. How can you be freed from slavery? Here we go. Number one, you could come up probably with all of these. And it's like, why did we come to church? But you could, right? But here's the thing. Most of what I say you could probably come up with, okay? But the truth is that people just need reminders about this and God's going to hopefully sometimes speak through me. Here's the first one. Align yourself with Jesus. Let's go, yeah, I know that. Yeah, but actually do it, okay? Align yourself with him. Be on his team. We used to say, uh, there was another teacher at the school here years ago. We used to sit in the woodwork room down there and kids would walk in. We'd just go, seriously, man, why would you want to be on anyone other, anyone's team other than Jesus? Because every other team loses, you know. And we just keep saying this to kids. Whose team are you on? Well, you don't want to be on that team. You want to be on Jesus' team, you know. That's the only team that wins. Because he's the biggest, strongest and the best and the goodest. It's good English, isn't it? And, and the lovingest. There's another one. Just threw that one in for you. Aso- align yourself with Jesus. Here's the second one. Confess and repent of sin. Yeah, you just go, yeah, righto, okay. Tell me something I don't know. Well, the thing, the thing with being a Christian is not that we don't know stuff, it's that we know stuff and we don't do it, right? Listen to what Jesus says in uh, John 8, verse 34 to 36. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see that? You're a slave. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Listen to this from... Uh, 1 John 3 verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Listen to this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So one way that you're going to deal with slavery is to recognize that you're wrong, confess it to God, say, God, my iPhone 6 has had more dominion over me than you. Please forgive me. Now, that's pretty bad, right? I'm not going to I don't want to get down on you about it, but seriously, if you're the ruler of the universe and someone gives more authority to a phone than, you, than the ruler, like that's, that's pretty ordinary, right? So that is something that you need to say sorry for. You need to ask his forgiveness and then you need to turn around and give him more authority over you than your iPhone 6 does, okay? So confess and repent, all right? Now, three, submit to Jesus' rule. <coughs> How could you do that practically, do you reckon? This is like open sharing, kind of pooling, pooling wisdom or ignorance, either one. Yeah. 
Yeah, realise your own agenda. Any other ideas? I reckon, I mean, there's heaps of ways to do this. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yep. What else? You guys are very intelligent. Yeah, yep. That's good. All of those. Listen. Do you know? You know what I reckon one of them is? Just kind of do what he says. There you go. That's right. You just paid 50 bucks for that. Just do what he says. Like if you want to, if you want to submit to his rule, just do what he says. Defer to his opinion rather than your own. Like, you know, like, and when he says something, don't think you've got to work out ten reasons why it's a good thing to do. Like, just kind of do it because you can trust him, right? So you just like some of you go, "Well, it's not that simple." Well, I think it probably can be, and maybe it ought to be. What's it? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own what? Massive problem. Massive problem for humans. Massive problem for me. I read the Bible and then I'll go, oh, what do I think about that? You know? Ah, that's not going to work for me. It's not. And you see, what happens at that point is I'm deferring to my rule rather than God's. Four, humble yourself. Some of you go, oh... See, it's on to us again. I'm not on here. Listen, Daniel 4, verse 28 to 36. You should have a read of that sometime, right? That's the story about Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he get, goes out on the top of his palace one day and he thinks, what a champ I am. He's like a narcissist, Old Testament classical narcissist. He goes out and he goes, I'm a legend. Look at my kingdom. And you know what happens is his prophecy comes and says, man, you're going to eat grass for a long time. Your hair's going to kind of get matted and almost like dreads or whatever, like festy dreads. Uh, you're going to eat grass and you're going to have fingernails like, like claws, you know, like talons of an eagle. Um, and that's what actually happens. Um, what actually happened, I think, is that Nebuchadnezzar, aside from the fact that God humbled him, Nebuchadnezzar's pride made him insane. And when people get proud, and you know what pride does a lot of the time is it leads people to insanity. It just does. And I, we don't have time today to go through that, but it just leads people to insanity listen to what it says in verse 34 um, about nebuchadnezzar at the end of the days i nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven listen to this and my reason returned to me and i blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation and do you know what Daniel 4 doesn't just say it once. It actually says it twice. He goes on in verse 36 and says, At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor returned to me. All because he humbled himself before God and put God in as a top spot. Okay? So if you want to be freed from slavery, you need to humble yourself. Number five, you need to keep yourself from idols. 1 John 5 verse 21 says exact, these exact words that are up on the screen. It's kind of like he does all this stuff about love and how marvellous God is. And right at the end, just like random as it looks like, right at the end of the last verse, it just says, keep yourself from idols. You know why? Because idols lie to you and deceive you into thinking that they are going to take care of you and that God doesn't. So they do. And as soon as you're deceived, you're a slave. Okay? Because deception is ending up in a place that you think is right when it's not. So if you know that you've got stuff that you worship over Jesus, you need to deal with that. All right, number three. Freed people liberate others. I'm going to read this. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Do you know what's amazing about this is pretty much the rest of the time in Mark, whenever he's done something for people, he says, don't tell anyone. All of a sudden, Jesus is going, here's what you need to do. You need to go and tell everyone that you can about me. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. You see, Jesus got kicked out. They didn't want him there. They were scared of him. They kicked him out. This guy comes along and he goes, hey, I'd like to be on your team. Can I be one of your disciples? Like It's got that kind of feel about it. I want to be a disciple of yours. And Jesus goes... Nah, that's nah, that's not my plan. 
here's my plan. You stay and you lot be the only one that knows about me and you go and tell everyone in the 10 cities about me. That's the plan. Now, I wonder how the guy went with that. I remember listening to this uh, message by this guy, uh, Juan Carlos Ortiz. It was either a message or a book of his that I read. He was a South American preacher and he had this guy come up to him in church, one of his uh, members of his church. And he came up to me, he goes, um, Juan, he goes, what do I do? He goes, I work at Ford Motor Company assembling vehicles and building vehicles at Ford Motor Company. He goes, oh, I am the only Christian there and I think that maybe I need to leave. <laughs> and Juan Carlos Ortiz just went, basically, are you serious? What do you reckon you're doing there? It's like if you're the only, like you're, that's they're the mole, right? <laughs> It's the mole, like get in there and just kind of tell everyone about me. That's the gig and this is what's going on here. Have, have you ever, did you play cops and robbers when you were in school? Did you? And, and it's like you've got the cops and the robbers and there's a jail and the cops catch everyone and then they go to jail. How do the people in jail get freed? How do they get out? Yeah, someone goes and tags them, right? But it has to be someone who's free, right? Isn't it? You see, this is kind of, Cops and robbers, the capitalist style. All right? Just, he's going, he's going, just get some tags on some guys in the decapolists, all right? Because they're kind of stuck in under the dominion and stuff too. So just get out there and tell them about me and what I've done and let's just see if we can get, get some guys free. And it looks here in Mark uh, 5 like people marveled at it. It was amazing. So quick shout out. We've got a couple of minutes. Quick shout out. What's, what's Jesus freed you from? Come on. Just now, before you, before you throw in, just let me set it up. Don't say, oh, Brother Peter, Jesus is salvation for my sins. You know, something like that. Do you know, I'm not talking about that. Like what's, what's something really specific in your life, like a slavery thing that Jesus has freed you from? Smoking. Smoking. Loneliness. What else? Yeah. Food. Future. Anxiety. See, this is not really good. Because the very nature of the freedom that Jesus brings means that you're one of these guys running around in cops and robbers and you want to free other people. That's what it is. All right? And if you haven't got enough of a taste of that, you maybe maybe you need to go and get more of a taste of it. It's like what because here's the thing, some of you need to be freed for some stuff, right? And you're under it. Okay, but there's a bunch of you and you can look at your life and you go, this is really good stuff. Like this, it's almost like a drug. You just go, this freedom is just awesome. And I actually want to get as much of it as I can and I want other people to have as much of it as I can. Because probably if you've dealt, like Will said, if you've dealt with, if God's freed you from anxiety, you're going to see anxious people around the place, aren't you? And you're just going to go, you should get what I've got. So, isn't that it? And that's kind of this demoniac. It's like, you guys got to get what I've got. I just found this guy that can just bring this most amazing freedom. You've got to get some of that, you know. You've got to stop sucking on lemons all the time, you know, and come and just, man, this is just so good. There's a nature about Jesus' freedom that he brings that makes it kind of reproduce, in a sense, around the place. I saw... Probably one of the better examples of this um, when I was in America in June last year. Has anyone here ever watched stuff that Americans do and just go, what the heck are they doing? Have you, have you ever done that? Go, like, what, what conflict are they in now that their guys are getting killed in? You know? And it's, you know, and, and you just kind of go, like, what's going on there? And then you've got the stuff that's kind of going, it has been going on in Ferguson with people shooting each other and rioting and it's like, what's going on there? And what, I mean, you go over there. I just couldn't believe how many flags they got up over there. And they got American flags everywhere. And I'm telling you, their flags, like, they just got a crane building a high rise, right? They was just hanging flags off it, right? And you're going, yeah, well, I've seen that. You haven't seen it like they do it in America, right? Because the flags are like four times the size of our flags, all right? And you go over there. They have a national flag day. And I said to someone, I said, what's the national flag done? They said, that's just where everyone puts their flag out. I said, Excellent. That's great. I, said, I don't know. Stick the... But you know what? We went to um, 
Washington DC, and it all started to make sense to me when we went to Washington DC. We went on some tours, we went in the US Capitol um, and saw this lovely picture. That statue is a, uh, is a copy of the one that's actually on top of the US Capitol. And surprise, surprise, the statue's called Freedom. You know, and like when you hear Americans talk and you hear stuff on the TV about them, what are they up about? And well, they're up about democracy and they're up about freedom and liberty and they've got the Statue of Liberty and it's going, what is going on there? Well, you know what's going on. The more I found out about the history of Americans, the more I realised that they've had to fight for freedom pretty much from the get-go. And they, just, and they just kept fighting and fighting for freedom. And this thing about freedom and democracy just kind of became so part of their DNA that it just kind of... That's, the, that's kind of the war cry almost. It's like, we've got to bring freedom. And why do they get involved in all these overseas conflicts? Well, there's probably a whole bunch of reasons, right? If you're a conspiracy theorist, they're not doing anything good. Um, but there might be some times where they're actually being involved over there because it's like we've got to bring democracy and freedom to these people. And I think there is an angle uh, to the fact that they do that. You know what else I saw in Washington when I was over there is I saw the price of freedom. You go to Arlington Cemetery and you've got acres and acres and acres of military servicemen and women, uh, I assume, who have been killed in conflict. Um, and they're all there. And it's just row after row after row. Because there's a price to freedom. So I want to finish with this. How does Jesus free us? And that's a subset of the question. How does Jesus free the demoniac? Do you know what? The demoniac is a sinner. In the natural, he deserved to be overtaken by the devil, didn't he? He deserved to go to hell with the devil forever. In a sense, he had given himself over to the devil like the rest of us had at some point in time. And there's a debt to be paid for your sin there's a sense in which we've given ourselves over um, before we became Christians to the false Lord, didn't we? So how do we get to the place that we are now? How do we get to the place of freedom from where we are now where we give ourselves to slavery? You know how Jesus does it? The only way that Jesus could free the demoniac from the dark Lord the only way he could be liberated, this man, was for Jesus to be bound and nailed to a cross. The only way that this man could be freed, the one that couldn't be bound, is by Jesus to be bound. The only way that this man, with incredible strength, um, could be subdued and come back into his right mind is the one with incredible strength allowed himself to be subdued. The only way that this man who lived in tombs was going to get out of living in tombs is that Jesus, the one who never belonged in a tomb, would be buried in a tomb. The only way that this man that was crying out in the middle of the night in screams, probably of pain and torture, the only way that his cries would stop would be if there was one that would go to a cross and would cry out on his behalf. The only way that this man who had cut himself with stones would actually get healing is if there was someone who didn't deserve to be cut would actually be cut with the stones of a, of a whip as he was scourged. The only way that this man who is a psycho for all intents and purposes, the only way that he could actually come back into his right mind was if someone actually got taken to the brink of insanity. You remember the anxiety of Jesus in the garden that actually brought about the sweating of blood? The only way that this man who was filled with a storm inside could actually be brought to peace is if there was someone who was peace got, who got filled with a storm inside. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, For our sake the Father made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I read this scripture before and I'm going to read the last verse of it because it's important to get the context. Do you remember this? Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus goes on to say, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And note this, this is the really important thing. This is a takeaway for you. 
This is the verse that we all know. This comes after the one about being a slave to sin. Jesus says this, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You get that? That's not a random scripture. That is a scripture about people who get to be slaves to sin. And Jesus says, When I free you, you're free indeed. 